The God of Second Chances, The Remaking of Moses, by Don Baker. Copyright 1991 by Don Baker. This unabridged recording of the reading of The God of Second Chances, The Remaking of Moses was published by arrangement with Don Baker and was produced in 2002 by Blackstone Audiobooks, Incorporated, which holds the copyright thereto. Neither this recording nor any portion of it may be reproduced or used for any purpose without prior written authorization from Blackstone Audiobooks. This book is read by Raymond Todd. The God of Second Chances, The Remaking of Moses, by Don Baker. Dedication To my father Harry and my mother Helen, who gave me my first look at God, and lovingly introduced their son to his son. Preface If there is anything we need during life's baffling and bewildering experiences, it is not an explanation but a trust in the God of second chances. To be dropped from earth's highest human pinnacle, through the clouds of fame and glory, onto the burning sands of the world's wasteland, was to Moses a baffling and bewildering experience. For forty interminable years, the pharaoh-elect of the glorious and powerful kingdom of Egypt was forced to lead a life of obscurity in a land that he hated, performing a job that, to an Egyptian, was the most demeaning task on earth. It was during this baffling, bewildering experience that Moses met God beheld his glory, and became his friend. To have a friend of God, available to trace God's image in clear and unmistakable word pictures, is a special privilege. Moses knew God, loved God, obeyed God, talked with God, and actually caught a brief glimpse of God. He spent enough time in God's presence to even absorb some of his resplendent glory and then display it to others. Moses knew God. But as I began to learn some lessons from him, I realized that I not only wanted to know more about God, I also needed to know more about Moses. Moses lived for 120 years, yet the scriptures describe only one-third of his lifetime. Like Jesus, we have records of his birth, but only brief sketches of his first 40 years in Egypt. We do know from the Bible that he was saved from death in the Nile by the princess to the Pharaoh. In history, she remains unnamed. It is possible that she was Hatshepsut, who later reigned as queen over Egypt. With many Old Testament scholars, I have assumed that Moses, by virtue of his adoptive relationship, was heir to the throne of Egypt, even though he was born a Hebrew. I have also assumed that Jochebed, his Hebrew mother, was unable to teach enough about his Hebrew heritage in the first two to three years of his life to prevent him from becoming an idolater during his time in the palace, and that he became familiar with all the ways of the Egyptians, which would include their polytheistic religion. Very little detailed information is available on the period of time in Midian, the second forty-year period of his life. To reach back in history 3,500 years and flesh out a man, his contemporaries, and his culture became a difficult but exciting adventure. My search for information was sparked by innocent questions that displayed some terribly wide gaps in my learning. My own chronological ignorance was exposed when people asked, Did the Hebrew slaves build the pyramids of Egypt? Or, Were the pyramids in existence when Moses lived? Or, who was Egypt's pharaoh when Moses was growing up in the palace? Egyptian records give only fleeting glimpses of the Hebrew slavery, and no mention of Moses. 
I did find bass reliefs of Hebrews in chains in Luxor, at the temple of Karnak, and was shown one line from Merneptah's famous stele in the Cairo Museum, which reads, The people of Israel is desolate. It has no offspring. Other than that, the land of the Nile is silent. For other information, it became necessary to exhaust the contents of numerous books, to interview historians, to search the ruins of an ancient civilization, to walk through the great and terrible wilderness of Sinai, and eventually to climb to the peak of Jebel Musa, the mountain of Moses, one of the world's most forbidding mountains, in an attempt to see and feel what Moses experienced in his historic encounter with God. One conclusion after all of the studying and traveling was that a knowledge of ancient Egypt can be tremendously helpful to the student of the Bible in helping one to understand much of the Old Testament. Norris and Margaret Aldine, my wife Martha and I, spent long, hot, tiring days and nights on foot, in cars, on the backs of camels, and in felucas, and barges on the Nile, in search of anything that would shed some light on a vague and obscure period of time in human history. We even tried to set fire to an acacia tree that stood alone in that vast desert. For years it was generally accepted that the oppression and the exodus occurred during the 19th dynasty, under such kings as Ramesses I and Seti II and Ramesses II, sometime between 1319 and 1237 B.C. This posed a chronological dilemma when we date the fall of the city of Jericho nearly 100 years before the birth of any of those kings. More recent scholarship places Moses in Egypt during the reigns of Thutmose III and Amenhotep II, 1490-1425 BC. These two were among Egypt's grandest pharaohs and led their nation into the age of its greatest glory. As for the pyramids, they were not only seen by Moses but also by Abraham and Joseph. They had been erected a thousand years before baby Moses took his first boat trip down the Nile. They were as visible to Moses 3,500 years ago as they were to me this past year as I looked west from the top floor of Cairo's Nile Hilton Hotel. The Hebrews built cities and canals and walls and towers, but they built no pyramids. Most of the labor force of thousands came from the Egyptians in the off-season, when the farmlands were flooded and the farmers were idle. Did Moses know Job? The suggestion that they may have met is mere conjecture. The dating and the authorship of Job, which may well have been the first book of the Bible to be written, is unknown. Job quite possibly lived during Moses' time and probably in a nearby country. Literary license? Of course I've taken literary license and described feelings and happenings that are not documented. I have, however, found nearly every incident recorded in this book mentioned or alluded to elsewhere. I must admit, though, that some were discovered only in the hidden regions of my own imagination. To couch truth in narrative form is difficult and sometimes dangerous, since it requires a strange mixing of fact with fiction. The biblical data remain intact. The dialogue between God and Moses is just as it is recorded in Scripture. The self-revelation of God unfolds in the same manner as it was unfolded to Moses— the greatest weakness is my own inadequacy when it comes to comprehending and revealing the infinite majesty, the incomprehensible glory, and the limitless wonder of Jehovah God. My deep gratitude is extended to my church family, 
who permitted the time to travel and write, to the Aldeans who accompanied us, to scholars like Dr. Ralph Alexander of Western Conservative Baptist Seminary, Mr. Jim Monson of the Institute of Holy Land Studies, Dr. Gleason Archer of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and to Emil in Luxor, and Omima, Muhammad, and Abdu in Cairo and Sinai, and to Richard in Israel, who assisted us in our search. For Moses, banished to the wilderness of Midian, life had stopped completely and permanently. Chapter 1 Exodus 3.1 Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro. Exodus 3.1 Moses picked up a smooth stone and hurled it beyond the feet of a straying goat. The animal leapt in surprise, and then wandered meekly back in the direction of his shepherd. A new day had just begun, another in the endless succession of days that comprised the meaningless existence of a prince who had turned into a shepherd. For Moses, banished to the desert wilderness of Midian, life had stopped completely and permanently. His days dragged on endlessly. They had become days without meaning, days without purpose. From the moment the early morning sun rose above the tips of nearby peaks and sprang up into the clear, cloudless sky until it sank into the purple shroud that lay along the west, time was endless. Each day was the same. Each moment was a repetition of the meaningless, purposeless moments that had just preceded it. The hours passed into days, the days into weeks, the weeks.